This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Here we go. Money conversations in early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the time. We face harder choices. We got the house. No, my mother said, when you get older, I wish you'd hurry and get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Hello and welcome back to Meet, Pay, Love, a podcast where we talk all about relationships and money. I am Zoe and this is my sister Carmel. Hello Zoe. As always, we'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Today, we are talking about joint accounts and group finances in a relationship. Do you have a joint account? Yeah, I do have a joint account, but I have a mortgage, so it's based off our mortgage. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Do you have a joint account? I don't, and I don't think I'm going to get one anytime soon. Fair enough. I feel like joint accounts are more prevalent in our in the older generations of society. Yeah. Well, apparently, for a research conducted by ABC News in 2019, 76% of married or de facto couples at the age of 55 to 74 have a joint account. And only 54% of 18 to 24-year-olds married or de facto have combined their finances. And I know from personal experience that my friends really haven't started to join finances yet. And my friends are around the 26 age mark. What about yours? I don't actually have a lot of friends that are in committed relationships at the stage. I'm 24 now. And so I don't think any of us have really considered joining our finances with someone. Ollie and I aren't de facto yet. And we're very aware of that. And <laughs> we're, we're counting the hours down, the days down until we know that we're de facto. Yeah. And I think that's quite common. Peter and I do have joint accounts because we have a mortgage and we've got formal joint accounts when we bought the house together. So you and I both are at different stages. We're really with joint accounts and different opinions. So to understand a bit more about joint accounts and when is it normal to join finances in a relationship, we decided to talk to Glenn Hare from Fox and Hare Wealth Advising. He entered the financial services industry at the age of 19, working with Macquarie Group. He was there for 10 years and then left to start Fox and Hare with his business partner, Jessica. On his website, he said his greatest success to date is streamlining the finances of his boyfriend, Liam. So that's where we've decided to start the interview. So um, you have a partner and um, you said earlier that you have a joint account. Have you been together long? Yeah, so we've been together for over six years. Um, in our household, it's fair to say that I manage most of the finances. Um, however, he is 100% across them. They're all joint accounts. He has disability. We talk about it quite quite regularly. Um, and we're probably a unique circumstance in that we joined our finances fairly early on. Um, so he won't mind me saying this. He's pretty, he was pretty terrible with money. He acknowledged that he was terrible with money. He was like, I just don't want to deal with it. Can you just deal with it? So I put together kind of a household budget and then we talked through it together. So it's never like, okay, this is what we have to do. It's about this, this is what it, you know, this is what it looks like. What do you think? And we kind of workshopped it together, but we workshopped it in line with kind of, um, as things got more serious and we continually kind of workshop it around well, what are we actually working towards? How early on are we talking? Do you mind me asking? But was it like no. two years into your relationship where you started? Two months. About four months. Four months? So the reason for that, so I was just sitting there doing my tax return as a good, you know, accountant does. 
Um, and I just asked, asked my partner, Liam, and I was like, oh, have you done your tax? And he's like, nah. And I was like, <laughs> what are you going to do? And he's like, I was, I was like, oh, when are you going to do it? Just, you know, casually four months into the relationship talking about tax returns, very romantic. Um, he was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, I, you know, when was the last time you did? And he was like, oh, I'm not sure. So... <laughs> So four months in relate four months into our relationship, there I am doing seven years of his tax returns because oh he gosh. hadn't done it. And I asked him, why haven't you done it? And he was like, Oh, just didn't wanna. <laughs> so again, very different relationships with money, clearly. <laughs> um and to be frank, you know, he just wasn't sure, you know, he wasn't sure how to go about it didn't really wasn't interested in it so it was just like oh i'll just deal with that kind of later so that was kind of a trigger for us he was like i just i have no interest in this and i don't want to deal with it so um i said okay cool let's let's like work i'll, I'll help you with all your tax returns and get that sorted um and then together we kind of built um like that budget that i mentioned and literally within four months we had a joint count with his income going straight into that um, which which I managed. Um, very trusting, very unusual. Um, that's probably not um, the norm, but it it worked for us. Like you know, it's really it's something that's really important to note is that everyone has different ways of managing this. You know, bringing your finances together, not bringing your finances together, whatever it is. There's no right or wrong. You just got to work out what works for you guys and just talk about it you don't talk about it you know things in what you know what's the basis for every good relationship communication right um finances impacts everything whether you like whether you like it or not whether you're going on holidays whether you're buying a new car whether you're going to buy a house whether you're going out for dinner whatever it is impacts everything you've got to talk about it i agree that communication is key and I kind of wish that I dated Glenn because I hate doing my tax returns. Seven years of it, though. That's a <laughs> lot of money that he's not claiming. That's what, that's what really triggered me. It is, it is a bit of the extreme. Like, imagine the money that's coming through there then. <laughs> I definitely think communication is key. It's a lot harder than people think it is, though. But you just got to open that like streamline of communication. I think talking about money and relationships is extremely important. And as Glenn said, communication is absolutely key. I sometimes give Pete just a bit of a warning because he doesn't like talking about finance as much as me. So I'll just say to him, just so you know, we're having a money chat. It's coming up. Give him a bit of a warning, a couple hours or a day, and then bang in with it. I think it's interesting that Glenn has sort of identified a gap in the market where millennials aren't going to financial advisors because they all look like their dads. And it's so much more intimidating to walk in and see your dad sitting there and be like, hey, I'm having problems with my money and my partner. Like, wouldn't you rather go to someone who's around the same age, who's gone through this more recently and can actually help you with practical advice? Yeah, absolutely. So now we're going to cut to the interview where Glenn tells us a bit about the stage his clients are at when talking about finances with their partner and joining their finances and accounts. Probably 80% of our members are in their 30s. So big, big kind of life choices and definitely um, where people have been managing their finances quite separately, a lot of the conversations are starting to arise around, okay, we've got a lot of joint goals. How do we start bringing those two things, to our kind of separate worlds together? 
most people will in a relationship will have differing wages and differing how much Mm -hmm. they earn. What kind Mm -hmm. of, this might be a very broad question because there's Mm. so many different ways and each individual would probably do it differently. But what are some Mm. of the ways that couples can share their finances? Like whether it's Mm. a joint bank account, someone pays for what, how they split that up. Yeah. Um, so one way to start or dip your toe in the water um, that, that I have found works really well is fixed costs. So what I mean by fixed costs is like bills. So if you're living together, chances are like you're, you're sharing rent and utilities and groceries or, or whatever the case may be, anything that's kind of joint regular expenses, open up a joint account for that and then agree on how much each of you are going to transfer into that account and then essentially have all your direct debits just coming from that that fixed cost one account. So basically what it means that at a household level, all your bills are accounted for and you never have to have that conversation, oh, hey, can you transfer me the rent or, hey, you know, this bill has come up. If it's all just coming out of that one account, then it's kind of almost out of sight, out of mind. And again, you've both agreed how much you'll contribute to to that account. And sometimes that does change depending on, um, you know, one's earning significantly more than the other, then they might contribute a little bit more and that's okay. They come to that agreement um, or it it might be 50-50. And that means that, you know, your everyday spending and your kind of discretionary spend or the money you spend on kind of clothes, eating out and holidays and all that stuff, that is still kept separate, um, but you've joint, you've got your fixed costs together. As things get more serious, then you need to start thinking about, okay, well, how much of the household are we spending on fun stuff? How much are we going to spend per year on travel, et cetera, et cetera? And then that obviously flows into kind of some of the bigger goals around investing and property and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think my partner and I have been living together for six months now. We've just reached the two-year being together mark, so it's Mm. very topical for me. (laughs) It's very topical. I don't think we're at the joint bank account yet because we've also got a housemate here, so I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to chase up both of them. It's fine. Um, and that's, that's six months living together where you've, it's only been six months where you've kind of had to have those conversations. Um, but in six months time, 12 months time, or if the, if you kick the roommate out, then you definitely want to kind of agree, okay, well, how, how are we going to do this? And just have that conversation up front. So you don't have to, one thing that I, you know, strongly encourage, you know, everyone to do is have that conversation up front so that you're not having to kind of rehash the wheel and kind of bring this awkward conversation which can be quite awkward particularly early on in a relationship around money over and over and over again on a monthly basis as they keep coming through what are some issues that couples could consider or discuss before they kind of go into a joint bank account something like monitoring it maybe um in terms of so with the fixed cost account so my partner and i have we've been together for six years and now uh, we joined finances very early on, but we set up our kind of bills account pretty pretty quickly. And if we don't really monitor it, like the money goes in and from from our respective salaries, and then the money just goes out to pay the bills, um, which is which is great because again, you're never chasing anyone, you're never having that awkward conversation, you're never short for that one particular month, so. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, in terms of going down that path, I, to be frank, I haven't really seen any issues 
but again, it's probably just a mindset thing that's probably the biggest challenge for, for, for a game, the high income earner and the low income earner to overcome. The high income earner potentially, oh, I've got to contribute more just because I'm earning more. Again, we need to think about it at a household level. For the low income earner, they might be a lower income earner, they might be like, oh, look, I don't feel comfortable relying on the other person just because they earn more income. Again, we need to start moving towards, particularly as you know things get more serious, we're managing this together. This is a team effort. That's probably the only, that's the biggest challenge. It's a mindset thing. Yeah, with my partner. So I'm probably in a bit more of a serious relationship with than Zoe is, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse <laughs> yeah <laughs> doesn't bother me <laughs> um, but um so peter and i bought a house and that's when we decided to join finances because we had a joint mortgage at that time and oh well, totally. sorry we we saved together for the house so we would have actually had a, a joint account then i suppose yeah i don't think we both had access to it then but we were just saving together and yeah. then the mortgage now we both contribute, but we look at it as a percentage of a whole of our income. We don't look at it as I put in 50% of the mortgage, he puts in 50% because we earn yeah. different amounts. And as you say, it just wouldn't work um, yeah. for one person to just have all this extra money sitting aside that's not going into the pool. It makes no sense to me. Totally, totally. And again, I, I you know, just um, thinking out loud, chances are, you know, one of, one of your goals is probably paying down that debt. So to your point, there's no point one of you kind of having those funds set aside in a you know high interest savings account, not really doing anything if we can be smashing down that debt, which is going to benefit both of you uh, in the long run. And yeah, buying property together is you know it's it's a fairly big big commitment. So there's no point kind of squirreling squirreling away you know this little side bucket because in reality, it's the one pool anyway. So we're just going to jump in for a quick second here because Glenn's just identified one way that you can split your account, which is fixed account. And that's how he sort of measured what the joint account would be and how much everyone puts in. But I've got a different idea. I think I would rather do a percentage wise split of the accounts rather than like a 50, 50 fixed account. What do you mean by percentage split? Well, because Ollie and I earn different amounts Hypothetically, if he was on 70 and I was on 50, I'd rather him put in a certain amount, like a percentage-wise, maybe 15% of his wage into our bills account and I'd put in 15% of my wage because then I think it balances that out a little bit more. Oh, so you mean it's proportionate of how much you earn, so the person in the relationship that earns more puts in more? Yeah, but it's not like they're, it's not like they're getting into a worse situation because they're putting in more. It's the same percentage. We've still got the same disposable income after that. Well... Wait, no, he still has more disposable income after that because it's, you know, his, the other 85% of your wage is bigger. than Exactly. So I don't think it's a bad thing that he's putting in more because it's an equal percentage. Yeah. Okay. I see that. That's, mm. that's fine. So we have multiple offset accounts and they're, you know, it's kind of like a bucket system. So one of them's for investing, one of them's for bills, one of them's for... Um, our emergency savings um, and the list goes on we've got a few and I kind of calculated okay together we earn um, x amount like both of our wages 
after tax together amount. And then I just distributed those into the different buckets, the percentage of what I thought should be. So I love how you're saying I distributed his money as well. (laughs) Well, I do. (laughs) So it's pretty, it's kind of similar, but we just utilize both of our wages put them together in a pool and then from that pool look at it objectively and go, okay, we want to be spending this much on shares each pay. We want to be putting this much in our bills. And the way that we do our bills is we calculate roughly what we think our annual bills will be and then divide that by 26, how many fortnights there are in a year. And then that's how much we transfer across so that we always have the bill money ready to go. We also keep it like just with an extra couple grand in there just for – in case you know the rates all come at once um and that's that works quite well for us so we're very much sharing well I was gonna say you've thought a lot about this a lot more than I have (laughs) sounds super intimidating well I think it's different when you're renting to when you have a house because there's all these additional expenses that can be unknown sometimes you don't know how much oh there's there's rates there's all kinds of I still get surprised when I get a bill in the mail. <laughs> I'm like, oh, bugger. And do you just have to try and find the way to come up with that money, though? No, I have my own savings. I got my own savings plan. There's no, like, there's no right or wrong way to do this. And my way might sound intimidating, but it really works for me. And I feel comfortable knowing that there's always the amount of money that I need there for bills, there for the mortgage. It's already there um, and extra. You Does know. it take you a while to set it up, though? I'm really into this stuff. I'm kind of nerdy and like I always revisit it just to try and see if I can improve it in any little way. And Pete's like, yeah, you're looking at me like I'm like nerd. I am lame, but Pete looks, Pete also feels the same way. He's like, we've sorted this out. We've discussed it a hundred times. The system works. Let's <laughs> chill out. Go to bed. Let's, let's move on and do something fun. Anyway. Well, these are just what we're doing right now. I do think that I'll adapt my solution in the future. (laughs) However, if anyone else has a solution that they think works really well, I'd love to hear about it because I am still just learning and I think I want to change up what I'm doing. And I've already said that I always love improving. So tell me how I can improve. (laughs) Self-improvement. You're listening to Meet, Pay, Love. We're just going to pause right here and go to our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to hear from Glenn what to do and how to protect yourself when joining finances in relationships. Just say I was about to start, well, I mean, I am kind of in a serious relationship. I'm not about to start one. I'm in one. But say I am... I'm one of those dudes. I'm sure your partner would be happy to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Ollie. (laughs) See, I was um, one of those sort of doomsday stays where I was like, I want to make sure that I'm protected in any sort of joint account. Do you have any recommendations for maintaining, making sure that you're protected in your joint account? Definitely. So in all relationships, there is going to be someone earning more than the other. That's, That's normal. In all relationships, there's going to be someone more interested in the finances and kind of manage the day-to-day bills and be more involved than the other. That's just human nature, right? In my relationship, probably no surprise, I'm more engaged in finances <laughs> than, than my partner. However, in saying that, even though they may not be interested in it, they may not be terribly engaged, it's important that the person that's not that involved starts to starts to be across the finances. They don't need to be in a, a, you know involved at an in depth level, but if you're saving to to work, to work towards a property, 
you need to understand you know, how much you're saving and when you're going to be able to get there to achieve that goal because that's going to ensure that the one that's not that engaged actually understands why they're saving and know maybe why they're not able to go out and you know spend heaps of money every single week because, hey, at a household, we're working towards that longer-term goal. Yeah, I do find the topic of uh, finances is quite overwhelming just because there's so many different aspects of it. And so in your sort of financial advisory firm, do you, this is just for my curiosity as well, do yeah. you deal with personal finances? Do you deal with assets, like if they have a house or like stocks or anything? Do you help them advise them with that as well? Yeah, good, great, great question. Um, and, and Zoe, just coming back to your point about being overwhelmed, that is so common. Most people put their finances on the back burner because they're just not sure what the next step is. Like, why do I invest in shares? Do I save to buy a property? What is tax? How do I reduce it? Super, I have no idea what my super is. Like, these are all questions that are like, oh yeah, I probably should kind of look into it. I think I need to, you know, maybe, maybe sort it out, but they're like, oh, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Statistics show that, right? Like most people aren't kind of reaching out to see an advisor until they're kind of five years from retirement. Very, very, because it's so easy to put on the back burner, particularly if you're not kind of motivated by money or if money doesn't interest you. Um, but in terms of in terms of our advice, so it's holistic. So it is cash flow, budgeting, tax minimization, investing, whether that be property, shares, exchange traded funds, managed funds. You know, it's super. It's insurances. It's the whole. It's the all the life stuff. But it's also about looking at the, the life stuff in line with the financial stuff. So, yeah, we're looking at all the financials around the budgeting and tax and et cetera, et cetera. But what are the goals that we're actually looking to kind of drive towards? So it is so important to set financial goals. Um, it is and, you know, we think about, um, you know, in our careers at work, you know, we all have kind of clear kind of KPIs business metrics if you're in a sales role like a lot of a lot of our members in in kind of that tech space they've got monthly targets they've got quarterly targets you know at work whether you're succeeding or not in life and in, in terms of our personal finances people are unsure they're like oh yeah i'm saving i don't really know what for i don't really know how much i don't know when i'll get to what i want but i'm just kind of saving whatever's left over at the end of each month we spend a lot of time with our members really trying to define their goals. So, you know, if you want a passive income, so income generated through kind of investments, not not kind of work and personal exertion, well, how much passive income? And then, okay, if you want this much passive income, well, how much do you need to have invested? If you're investing, what are you investing in? And then it's like really trying to break down the life goals and then work out what, from a financial perspective, we need to do to drive towards those goals because you you may have heard of the acronym SMART. So if your goals aren't SMART, like if they're not specific, if they're not measurable, they're not achievable, they're not realistic, and you haven't got a time frame, then you kind of don't really know whether you're succeeding or not. So hypothetically, you know, one if, you know member that I caught up with yesterday, she wants to buy um, a property for eight hundred grand. So we can, you know, you can build a really clear strategy that says, if you do this, you will be able to buy this property in this time frame. However, if you're kind of just saving whatever's left over or investing whatever's left over at the end of 
each month or fortnight or whatever you're getting paid. You have no idea when you're going to be able to buy it. So uh, setting goals can be really challenging though, particularly with our demographic because they're like, I don't know where I want to be. I don't know what I want to do. Um, which is again, another excuse why people put this stuff on the back burner. They're like, oh, I'll deal with that later. You know, maybe I don't want to do that. Maybe I do. What we strongly encourage our members to do, let's set some goals. Let's set some really clear goals. Let's drive towards those goals. When those goals change, which let's face it, life changes. And last year, a lot of goals changed. We, um, we had a really good, con- you know, we're having a really good conversation around, okay, when those goals change, let's revisit the financial stuff and then work out how do we realign to those new goals. So it's always about, you know, aligning the financial world with the real one. Do you find that that conversation changes if they come to you as a couple or is it pretty similar if they come to you as two people versus one person? Great question. So for couples, it is very challenging if they have different views in terms of what their future looks like. Um, That makes it very hard from from our perspective. And interestingly enough, one of our best referral partners is a relationship counsellor. Honest truth. So she works down uh, in, in, in the Shire in Sydney and she said that a lot of her clients or patients, if they, you know, stopped arguing about their finances and more on the same page, a lot of their issues would be um, put to the side. Um, so if the couple don't have joint goals, then it's very hard for us to build a financial strategy that deviates towards two different paths. Um, for individuals, though, it, it's probably a simpler, simpler conversation in that all of, at that time, all they're really kind of thinking about is themselves. Is it difficult for you when your role is to provide financial advice when sometimes you find you're in the middle of a maybe a, a domestic It might not be a domestic dispute, but uh, they're trying to work things out together. So I imagine there's a fine line between counselling, that counselling side of things, and then providing the financial advice. It seems to me that um, couples in that situation really need to attack it from both ends. Totally. Um, Relationships, you know, one of the biggest financial decisions you'll ever make in your life is your life partner. Not very romantic. Um, I actually wrote a blog on this, but like if, if you guys aren't on the same page and you're not working towards common goals and you're both kind of just doing your own thing, the chance of you achieving those goals is significantly, significantly reduced. Um, and yeah, it is, it is challenging, Carmel. Like if, if they're not on the same page, it makes our job near, near impossible because we can't build a strategy that you know, works towards two completely separate objectives. So in that regard, it is a lot of counselling and coaching and, you know, bringing, you know, workshopping what feels right for both of them. And, you know, something that, that I'm always passionate about is giving the members comfort that their goals aren't set in stone, right? Like I don't want them to, you know, finish a Zoom call or walk out of the meeting room and go, okay, that's what the rest of my life looks like. It's about let's work towards something. Let's agree that this is the, these are the priorities at the moment. 
and let's acknowledge that they may and more than likely will change and that is okay that is normal um i mean i did accounting at uni so <laughs> i wasn't really taught um you know forgotten kind of that um, psychology part, but um, we we actually have done some psychology courses because um, money can be really emotional, and everyone has very different relationships with money. You know, in in a in a, in a couple, how those two um, manage money, how those two see money, how those two um, value money is very much dependent on their individual upbringings, which could be quite different. Um, but again, I keep coming back to this concept of a household. There needs to be kind of a household view. There needs to be a household approach and everyone within the household needs to be on the same page. Do you have any strategies for say a young female mid twenties, um, speaking to her partner about seeing a financial advisor and he's saying, nah, we don't need to, I've got it all covered. I watch a lot of YouTube. Um, how, how should that person approach their partner? And, um, if that's their goal, convince them to come and see you. <laughs> okay. So I reckon that happens a lot because, um, to, to my comment earlier, broad generalization. Yeah. I'm watching YouTube. Um, you know, I'm listening to blogs, etc. I've, I've, I've got this. I would encourage them to, so in terms of our engagement, the way that we approach things, and this is the same for most financial advisors, not just Fox and Hare, most advisors would be really comfortable to sit down, have a half an hour, 45 minutes, super casual chat, just about what it, what it, you know, what it is that you guys are working towards, really high level overview of your current position, and then to, for the advisor to, to share uh, some areas where they particularly, you know, think that they could potentially add value. Um, one of the challenges is, you know, for, for, that, for that young female or, or the young male talking to their partner, whoever it may be, is the, the other, you know, the other party that's probably not, not that keen to go doesn't really know how they can add, like how the advisor can actually add value. And that's okay because very rarely will someone in their 20s think that a financial advisor is actually appropriate for them. So if you can encourage them just to come along to a chat, casual chat with the advisor, then that's just going to give them some more insight in terms of where, where there could be, uh, you know, some, some opportunity to kind of work together. If the one person that wants to go to a financial advisor has that coffee chat, and then has to relay everything that they spoke about that conversation to their partner, that's not going to go anywhere. It's like Chinese whispers. Um, you want to make sure that the partner that doesn't want to go is engaged in that conversation and is, is, is there right from the outset. So that again, it's not rely on that person that wants to see the advisor having to explain and, um, do, you know, repeat everything that was in that, in that casual conversation. Yeah. So all, all, most advisors, including, including us at Fox and Hare, always start with just a super casual chat. It's just kind of a bit of a get to know each other, um, and see if there's a, you know, worthwhile moving forward. And for us, it's free. And for most other advisors, that would be free as well. So that's it for our interview with Glenn. To find out more about him, you can visit his website at foxandhairwealth.com. Let's discuss some of the stuff we've learned from this interview. Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is if you're in a happy and committed relationship, you feel like you can discuss honestly and communicate 
openly with your partner about money, then really the best thing to do is tackle your wealth creation or building your assets and finances together as a team. And I know from personal experience, I was, I did work for a judge as an associate for a number of years in the area of family law. I saw a lot of property and financial breakups. The people that walked away with the most money were the ones that built money together. And it makes sense. If you've got more meat in the pie, there's more to divide. So don't be scared that you might be breaking up with someone like that's might be unavoidable. You can't predict the future, but go in and do your best together as a team. But it is overwhelming. So joining finances, especially to me with someone who's going into a de facto relationship, we're not quite there yet. So overwhelming and it's scary. The process of combining your finances and getting a joint account. It had never occurred to me before, but now I really like the idea of going to see a financial advisor to get that third opinion and for someone to sort of help mediate that conversation and navigate combining finances with a significant other. Yeah, I really like the idea of having a a third party that's unbiased and can help you work out your joint goals together. And it was really interesting when Glenn said that one of his biggest referrals is a relationship counsellor. It makes sense. Like money and emotion go hand in hand, basically. And that's what we'll be hearing about next week with Sarah Ashton from SHIPS, a sexual health and intimacy psychological service. And here's a little grab from what you can expect. If you're in a relationship with someone and the only reason you're with them is because you think it'll be okay when they change, then you should not be with them because that sets up resentment and it sets up this, this constant feeling of unease and a dynamic of, of, you know, from the other person's perspective, they're now under pressure to change themselves in order to keep the relationship, right? That's not a condition under which they can change. And that's it for this week of Meet, Pay, Love. You've been listening to Carmel and Zoe. Um, if you want to hear more from us, Make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at meetpaylove and send us a little email at either Zoe or Carmel at equitymates.com. Thanks for listening. Peace out. This podcast proudly brought to you by Equitymates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you.